Fam, welcome back to this week's episode of Dylan Friends. Hey, a little extra episode for you this week, but bloody hell, did I have some fun recording this. Cal Toomey, the draft guru from the AFL, joined us. Mate, this guy's unbelievable. It was sort of my first time really having a good chat with Cal. Obviously ran into him a fair bit over the years, but absolute weapon. Weapon. Knows his stuff. And if you know a lot, I, I talk about this a lot, but I love my footy. I don't watch a lot of it throughout the year, but there's two things that I really love. It's finals time, because it's a different game. It's rough. It's tough. And you see the bloody combatants and these just gladiators go at it. And the other time is draft. I love seeing the young kids come through, what club they go to. And now, as you know, the draft is such an important time for these kids and they've never been more overanalyzed. And and there's so many bits and pieces that go into what actually makes kids getting drafted throughout the system. So we got the draft guru in, Cal, to talk about it all. But it was so interesting. For any footy lover out there, I, I, I was so excited by this episode. I really was. Um, so please, yeah, give it a good listen. We spoke about sort of the, what to expect expect on draft night, all the rules and stuff and how it works, speaking about the draft, spoke about his mock draft as well. We went through a bit of his phantom draft, sorry, of the, the top 10 and where he sees some players, spoke about some history over the last sort of four or five years of drafts that have gone either really, really well or not so well for other clubs, spoke about the clubs that have a lot of picks and what they're looking to take this year and just some some, some strategy that you don't often see or hear about, which is really interesting. So I, I do say this a lot, but I actually really was really, really engaged. Engaged is the wrong word. I'm engaged every time we hear from someone, but it was a really interesting. I learned a lot in this episode and I'm really looking forward to the draft on Monday. So I hope you enjoy it too. And good luck to all those young hopefuls out there. Get it done. Let's go. Hi fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. He's like, you can embarrass yourself. And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant. Didn't know all yeah. seven. <laughs> I've been in a bad team for 10 years and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Cal Toomey, welcome to the pod, man. Thanks, Dill. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. What a big time of the year. This is, it must be, it's been like grand final leave for you. Like, yeah, is that like exciting? Grand final, Christmas Eve, New yeah. Year's Eve all rolled into one. Uh, it's fun. It's like something that you look forward to all year and then it gets there and it's like, oh, it's, it's four or five, three sleeps away, whatever it is. And you get to that point and then- all of it happens in one hit. Yeah. And it, it, I, I've sort of described it as, as like after Christmas, you, you, Boxing Day, you're quiet and you're like, oh, what, did all that happen that quickly or whatever it is? You open up your presents on draft night mm. and that's what the clubs do. You know, it's all what can we be good at and what can 100%. we get out of it all? Uh, the thing I love about the draft too, I'm a uh, – with footy, I don't watch a lot of footy um, mid-season. I love finals and I love the draft. Like yep. I, they're my two things that I love to sort of be because it's sort of like finals is a different – it's nearly a different game. And then the draft is like one of those things where it's like you always look at it and you go, that's really exciting, but it's more what happens over the next two, three, four, five years – that is actually nearly more the exciting part. You look back and ref- can reflect on certain things. Like you think, wow, we nailed it this year, but did you? And clubs think we fucked up, but did you? Like it's, there's so many bits <laughs> yeah. and pieces that you can work on. It's funny, on afl.com.au, we used to grade the the sort of big winners out of the draft. Mm. And I sort of thought, I felt a little bit uncomfortable about doing that <laughs> because at the time you can see and rate players based on their year at the moment. That's fine. And, and their past couple of years, but you never really know how things seem to go. And, and the best talents can have injury or something go wrong and, and something so easily can derail what looked like being a pretty comfortable and cruisy career. So I sort of said, no, let's let's not do that mm-hmm. anymore and let's just base it on what we think of the players at the moment. But you're right, there's there's 
so much hope attached to the draft. And I think that's why so many people like it because how much better can this player be for our team or my team next year and the next five years? Or if there's a team that's been ordinary for a few years, you have that seed of doubt as well, thinking, oh, I don't know. Mm. I don't know about this guy. But over the last few years, I'm sure we'll get to it. Over the last few years, we've found more of an investment within the supporter bases of the players coming through. Like players really... Uh, supporters really want players, certain players, specific players, yeah. and I don't think that was the case, you know, 10, 15 years ago. No, it's not. And I think that, that's what's so exciting about it. Like, I love the fact that we are seeing, you know, I think it's like nearly the uh, – I, I refer probably to it like the Bazlenka era. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know, someone of these kids now, they come through, they're posting their highlights. Nick Dacos, they're posting their highlights. You're seeing them at TSC yep. Cup level and like, you go, fucking hell. These blokes can play. Like, this is exciting. So you can already sort of have that connection through – that and go like, I want this guy in my club. Yeah. It's funny because I think this generation, and you would know better than me, but a, a generation ago maybe might not have been as Fuck invested no. in the, the N- NBA and yeah. the NFL. Yeah. And I think this year and this most recent years are all really invested in that sort of other sport area and, and the American athletes are so much more brash and confident. So like I, I tracked Nick Dacos through his draft year last year really closely and, and he would go home and watch you know, clips of what um, LeBron James was doing and, and Cristiano Ronaldo. And it was when – it was actually funny. He said when he started to realise why people loved the Dacos family and why they were so interested in the father-son bit was when – get me wrong, I don't know NBA at all yep. really well, but does LeBron James have a son coming through yes. or did he? I think his name's Bronny. I think his name's yeah, well, Bronny. When everyone started getting <laughs> excited about him, Nick Dacos <laughs> was the same about – him yeah. as everyone was about Nick Dacos. So it's like, okay, I, I understand now why supporters are so invested in me as a player. So, yeah, yeah I think that's infiltrated what the, the AFL draftees are feeling now too. 100%. And, and we speak about it with – especially Nick Dacos. You know, he's a, he's a poster boy for these types of things. But I think <clears throat> a lot of people – you know, we're very good at knocking young guys for saying certain things early in the drafts. And you can watch these videos and, you know – they go out there and say, I want to play like Chris Judd and do these things. Yeah. And you can go and go, come on, mate. But I, I, fuck, I honestly love it. I really do. And the what Nick Dacos has done this year, I think, has been rewarded in awards. But I don't think anyone has actually broken down how incredible from a, a young guy who, as you would know, in the lead up to that, was, was very active and talking about a lot of things, posting yeah. hot, doing a lot of these American sports types things. And then to go and back it up, as he did, is... It must give so many of those young kids confidence for this year's draft to go and go, oh, I can actually go from TAC Cup, from Waffle, from Sample, from fucking yep. Tasmania and dominate AFL next year. Yeah, he has superstar mentality. He's yeah. had that since he was about eight, I reckon, yeah. and it's always been about AFL, AFL, AFL and make an impact from day one. He was a little bit jolted by not being the number one pick last year and he made that clear. I love that. And it'll be the same for, for Will Ashcroft this year. If he doesn't go number one, he'll he'll believe that he should have been number one. If he doesn't, he might still. There's a few days to go yet, mm. but if he doesn't, he'll have the same attitude that, hang on, if I'm picked two or three, I thought I was deserving of number one. It was all about the internal sort of um, credibility that that would have brought on for Dacos. But yeah, you're right. He's the poster child of being able to step in straight away mm. and, and make an impact. And look, his numbers stack up as one of the best debut seasons in the AFL era. I mean, it's not John Coleman, 98 goals mm. or 100 goals or whatever it was. But yeah, I think that what Dacos has done has provided a little bit of hope around every draft day and every draft day in this year's crop was watching Nick really, really closely. And everyone in footy was watching Nick yeah. really, really close. Cause as you say, he, he didn't set a target for himself, but he was confident and, and he did, um, 
in his own way put himself out there. Yeah, and that's what I I, I love. You know, looking back from, we can always go back in, in time. I don't regret anything at all. But I think from earlier in these drafts, when you know clubs weren't as invested, players weren't. It wasn't as like. You know, these draft picks work, walk into clubs now and they're expected to play and, and to help the club versus back probably when I came, it was like, you've got to fit in and earn your stripe and yeah. <clears throat> if you make it, good on you, but if you don't, fuck off. Where I wish I had that, what these guys have now. They rock up and they're like, no, nah, we're, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, I think the message from the recruiters in the lead up to the draft and also the clubs pretty much day one and the coaches day one is is like mm. – you know, everyone hears that it doesn't matter what pick you are. And I think that's real to mm. a degree. It matters what pick you are, what your contract's worth and, and what that can look like for you and how long you might stay on a list. That obviously helps being a top 10 pick. You get a few extra chances if it doesn't go right straight away than maybe a later pick or a rookie. Mm. But when you actually look at who's afforded opportunities early in their careers, it doesn't matter. Like we've, We saw that at the end of last year, you know, players come through the rookie draft or, or late in, in the national draft and all of a sudden they're playing in the, in the – the community series in the start of the season, then they are in round one and sometimes ahead of some of the early picks too. Mm. I can tell you now, if, if there's any young uh, prospects listening, if you think you have time, you don't. You just got to go then rip it up straight away. Like I remember I went, I was a father-son pick, thought it was going to just sort of like happen straight away and very quickly guys were getting picked up after me in the rookie draft were debuting. I was like, fuck, this isn't how it works. Doesn't it go top perfect? <laughs> then he debuts and I debut. I was like, come on, man, what the fuck? This isn't, this wasn't the plan, but um, no, I love it. And I think that there's a lot of these young generation now, they they expect to come and play, which you have to. Um, and that's come from everything, hasn't it? Like people storytelling, all these sorts of things. Anyway, let's um give us a bit of a rundown, mate. Like, I'm, I'm so out of touch with this now too. What's a traditional pathway for these guys um, now in their final year? Like their school, yep. NAB league stuff wasn't around. Then they're doing interviews. Like how strenuous is the year and stressful for them? How much do they have to perform to get to this level? It's, it's a big year. Like to be drafted, you need to be a high achiever in a lot of fields. You need to be able to balance so much of your schooling, your education. You might be your work. Like Aaron mm. Cadman's been a, an apprentice all year working for his dad. Um yeah, you know, hands on the tools, hands on deck all day. He's given an hour or two, maybe once or twice a week to go and get some club interviews done aside from that. Then he goes and drives and trains with the, the Rebels down in Ballarat. Then he plays with Vic Country all over the country. Okay. And then he plays some NAB League finals. Then later in the year, he's doing media interviews, left, right and centre. I bumped into him at AFL House yesterday and he's doing that. He was with Bailey Humphrey, who's from Maui, who drove up just for that. He's done a lot of travelling across this year. There's different examples. I mean, in WA, a lot of the kids uh, have sort of finished school. So yeah. there's a little bit of a different school system up there. But generally, 60% nearly of the draft comes from Victoria and 55% of, or maybe, you know, 90% of that 60%, we're getting into numbers here, probably uh, are doing their VCE or whatever it is called now, their, their ATAR in year 12. And that's a challenge for them because mm. not only is that – the, the pressure of the footy clubs and that environment started to come at them all at once and they get calls from recruiters, can we come now? Can we interview you this week? We want to do a Zoom. We want you to come into the club. We want you to train. You know, we want to see you do this, that and the other. Then the NAB League clubs train them, you know, twice a week like any sort of semi-professional side. And then a lot of them also go to private schools and they – um, as a competition, take precedence in a, a big part of the year. So then they're training with them as well. So they can be training two or three times a week, doing their year 12, playing on a Saturday and trying to combine all of that as well as doing well at school, which a lot of them do now. I, I find that you know the guys who want to go early in the draft generally work pretty hard at all aspects of their life. It's not just their footy. There's, there's a trend there. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a prerequisite of getting drafted, but there is a trend to the hard work, you know, working for your footy and other aspects of your life. So 
they're pulled in all directions and it's a massive year for them. And they get to the end of the year and a lot of them have played 20, 25 games. It's funny, like you speak of AFL players, the draftees would have been training since last December essentially and they're still training now. They haven't really had much time off in between them. It's probably a bigger 11 months than what an AFL player will have once they step into the system. Mm. AFL players have about 16 weeks off, don't they, at this point? Yeah, (laughs) it seems like it anyway. (laughs) So it's a massive year for them and they're they're exhausted by this point. But then two days after they get drafted, they go and start an AFL preseason. So that's why you get to their first year and and they're so nursed through their first preseasons. But it's a massive year. I, I sort of feel... And there's some responsibility as well from our perspective to don't not create too much extra, um, not attention, but stress for them from a media perspective as yeah. well. I think, you know, in our role, we don't want to be sort of making these guys have to um, do heaps and heaps more than they already are doing. So that's, that's always a challenge. I love what you said then about um, the, the trends of like, people so you know these players like yeah. whether they're good at school and i'd go even further to say even cadman that you said before about working yeah, and that's that work right. ethic yeah. what they do definitely translates because it's all habits right like if you're good at if you if you've got a good habit outside of your life you generally have a good habit on field yeah. and that translates well into into football clubs and when you get there you can fit a part of a system you know how to work hard you know how to do all these things again there's always exceptions to the rule and some people just aren't into yeah and hard work can be different kind of it can be traveling three hours to train it can be coaching your local footy team as you know the kids there it's different not just schooling but everything definitely it just shows that commitment to what they're ready to willing to do to get to a club question being for that is like how much is that analyzed by like yourself and clubs to go because i feel like that probably wasn't looked at a long time ago like you know, players who have been through adversity in their life, um, sorry, kids that have been through adversity in their life or they've had to have it the harder way, does that give them extra points going, fucking hell, this bloke's got a bit of a ticker about him? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think it definitely does. And, and not as much for me because we're writing the stories and the profiles, yeah. but but mainly for the clubs who want to see these guys. Character is, you speak to any recruiter and this is, you know, across the board, character is number one. If you can kick it, that's number three. <laughs> like yeah. that, that's not even close to, to what the, the tick off is. So, and there'll be players in this year's draft, there'll be players in next year's draft, there'll be players in every draft that'll slip a few spots because maybe there's a shade of grey on, on one question mark if the character or, or something like that. So that happens all the time because maybe they, they're not, you know, as as trustworthy in terms of what they can bring into an AFL club and if they're going to do the work and trustworthy in terms of doing that work. So, yeah, massive tick for that if you if you can prove to clubs that you've been through, one, a little bit of adversity, but not, ne- not necessarily that. Also just, you know, one of the questions a lot of clubs ask prospects is what's the biggest challenge you've overcome in your life? Mm. And, and some kids are, are lucky enough and fortunate enough to not have had too many. But that in itself, you know, the last couple of years, I would say the resilience that this year's draft has shown after missing their year 10, year 11 generally of, of life through COVID the last couple of years yeah. is, is pretty massive in and of itself. So that's probably what a lot of them have said. But there's also, you know, personal loss and, and mental health issues elsewhere and, and all sorts of things that have been sort of, brought to the fore and clubs weigh that up for sure. That's, that's yeah. I, I, that's pretty impressive to see like how, you know, well-equipped and, and it's sort of scary how much research like goes into these <laughs> It's places. funny, like speaking of a couple of players in this year's draft recently and they're like, yeah, I had a call. My school teacher, like my English teacher had a call from, from this recruiter. I was like, oh yeah. I, and it's not even like a club that was even really in the mix to pick them, yeah. like given where they are in the draft and where their picks are and everything. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, well, what would that be? And I said, well, 
I guess they're just covering off just in case they trade and that's the new element of the draft that, yeah. you know, you have to be across everything just in case. So on the night they look around and say, hey, did you check that up? <laughs> What's yeah. he like there? It's ah, uh, yeah. But they do their work. They that's definitely it. do their work. Talk us through that, the the new concepts around the draft because there's so many new bits and pieces. So there's live trading, there's yep. the Father Sudden Academy picks. Like what's the yep. up, most updated recent stuff that we'll see on um, Monday night? It's complex. It's hard to follow, but it's worthy of being hard to follow in that they needed to fix the, the Father Son and Academy yeah. bidding system. So you can't it, have some guns sliding down to pick 61, can you? Like, no, it's no a, nef- definitely not. Yeah. And, and like you you would have been the old system, like the old, old system. No, no, you? I actually wasn't. I just know I'm bitted. Yeah, I think no, just no one bitted, unfortunately, <laughs> on me. Um, but but that was prior to the draft though, wasn't it? It was prior to the draft, but in that same draft, Tom Mitchell – uh, was yep. we, we were both in the same draft and Jed Buse. Yeah. Um, who are both still on list. Jed Buse just won a flag and Tommy just won a Brownlow. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm here. Oh, you got a podcast. Yeah, I got a podcast. Um, and Tom Mitchell got bid on, I think, by Fremantle, which then back then they it took that pick and he, it was he went done in the before first the trade round. period then. Yes. So oh, it was too. Yes, because it was on the opening morning of the trade period and then yes. they sort of cleared it out and said, okay, well, if you're doing that with that player then you can't have access to trading that pick. So that was the theory then. But now it's a live event. And that's what makes it interesting on one point, but also nearly impossible for a phantom draft. That's what I say, because the mm. picks always change mm. and the order's all over the place. So that, it's actually given me a big out, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm sort of glad about in some ways. But uh, I would say that yeah, the main part is the live trading, and that's the ability to move up the board um, if your player that you like is there. So in the, in the past, and that was the old system where if – if a player was on the board and sliding, for instance, you couldn't do anything as a club. You just had to wait and cross your fingers and say, please get through. Whereas now you can actually make some stuff happen and go, if we really want him, let's trade him, trade another pick that we've got for this year or next year, package them up and move up the board to you know, that pick 15 and go and grab that player because he's good enough. We think he's a top 10 pick um, and, and we rate him highly. So that's part of the draft that's fun and exciting. It's brought in from overseas, but it's really added a new element to it. I love it. It's good. And it's that's fun. traditionally happened with – so I, I remember when I was at the Giants, Bobby, that happened with Bobby Hill. Yeah, that did on they, the second they day. They yep. traded up to get him. And then um, obviously uh, Liam Stock from Carlton, the traditionally that story, which hopefully he gets picked up again as well. But there's been yeah. heaps of different ones. There's that one. Uh, there's been um, another one. Carlton traded out of like pick 10 or 11 in 2019. And it was – they also picked up uh, Philp and Kemp. They used to turn one pick into two. Yeah, right. Gold Coast move up the board and pick up – uh, Sam Flanders. So again, that was a case of Carlton at that point of the draft had nine or so names, I think, and mm. all nine that they thought in that top category were gone. So it was like, well, let's trade back and see if we can get two for one. And that's what they've done on that occasion. So there's that. And then there's the bidding system, which is fascinating always in terms of who lays a bid. And we spoke about Dacos last year. He went pick four. Sam Darcy went pick two. Giants laid a bid on him. The big talking point in the lead up to Monday night will be whether the Giants bid at number one on Will Ashcroft or not. Mm. They don't have an obligation to. Like they, they moved up the draft board to get this player. It's rare that you'd move up the board to then make a bid to go back down the board one spot. But it's always fascinating to see where the bids come and, you know, the relationships with clubs, you know, how that always looks is, is always interesting too. Well, also, uh, let's not let's not forget there's a bit of money for going pick one <laughs> as well. So you'd rather give it to a guy that you're actually going to get versus the guy you're probably not. Well, you tell me, like, there's pressure with the number one, but mm. I, I think that uh, the Giants are a different case in that it's a different 
level of pressure in Sydney. I don't think there's maybe, or it's clearly not the same sort of um, expectation on the top picks in, in Greater Western Sydney than there are probably at any other club, to be honest. So I think that if Cadman is happy enough to go number one, then he should be going number one. Mm. It's exciting. Yeah, well, I, I don't. And it's good marketing too. It is. It is good marketing. Um it's an interesting. It's both ways. I actually see your point now because I was thinking, well, why wouldn't they pick him, pick one if they know they're not going to get Ashcroft? But then there's the other point. Well, it, it can well. shelter them a little bit, and you yeah. know, it's like yeah, how much difference is pick one versus pick two in terms of pressure and expectation? Every, I bet you you could name all the number one picks. I don't reckon yeah. you could name all the number no, you're twos. Right. I seriously couldn't. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, just on that trading on the night situation, I really like that. Have you? Uh, the, have you seen or what's like one that you look back and go, wow, that actually has gone under the radar for a sneaky, really successful trade? Like, is yeah. there anything that stands out? I think um, the the ones that always interest me are like, because we split the draft over two days now. Yes. The ones that really interest me are the, the next day, like the day two, because there's these floaters, these players who um, get left over from draft night one and then they become like the pick one of day two. Yeah. It's like they get their moment. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Dev Robinson was shattered. I was about to say this. I was at the draft and the poor – sorry, I'm stealing your story, no, no, but no. I was about to say, like, I was at that draft. It was my first year out of it and there would have been, what, 10 blokes at this draft yeah. nearly. Cause they, about so, 10, 15 10, probably, 15, yeah. so they're picking the top 10 and I remembered that uh, Dev Robinson, hope he doesn't mind resharing the story, but he was absolutely heartbroken that night. I remember he was – you know, with his family, yeah. really devastated, but then had to wait the next night to come back and get picked up again and now doing incredible things. So it just shows yeah. that doesn't yeah. – Well, that's right. And, and if the draft had gone one more pick that first night, he would have been picked. Yeah. But um, that night there was a lot of conversations in the lead up to the next day and I think it was Port Adelaide who had the pick originally and their player that they wanted was Dylan Williams. So they – weren't as keen on Devin mm. Robinson. So they were willing to – and I'm not saying there's still a way to go for both of these players, but it's still an interesting sort of dynamic in terms of how it all works now. They were willing to go back one or two spots. I think it was one spot even. Brisbane was willing to pay an extra second-round pick just to move up one spot to pick up Dev. So that's where you got to know – and. Uh, you got to know the intel of other clubs. Yeah. It, it helps now to be a club that really looks at the intel and what's going on because if you just soften off yourself, and this is, you know, a little bit self-interest here, but like if you just soften off yourself, you're going to miss out on what knowing what else everyone else is going. And I always say the draft is so much more now than just saying or just knowing what this player does and what he's good at. The draft from a recruiting point of view is this player, what he's good at, but also what does this club think of that player? What clubs – are going to look at that player. Mm. Can we move up to get that player? Where does he fit compared to these other players? Can we trade? Is he going to be bid on? How many list spots do we have? Like it's it's just like this ultimate thread. That's super interesting. Yeah. So there's there's I I think the recruiting sort of landscape and the recruiters are probably the hardest working people in footy to be honest because they pretty well a week after 2022 draft they'll be talking about 2023 yeah and they already are to a degree but yeah they have to have so much in their minds on draft night yeah when did you when do you think that changed so there's two questions here one is who i want to ask this before i forget it is who do you think of some of the best recruiters um in the in the AFLM? but before that when do you think that shift happened for recruiting because i think Personally, I feel maybe back when I was, you know, getting picked up and younger guys before that, it was a bit more of a just what we want and what we like versus now it, it has gone that 
like money ball nearly even type mentality and you've got guys like Adrian Caruso at the Giants who you know is a good good mate of mine who is just so analytical with how he, he looks yeah. at things and then you know Carlton have got you know um, Nick Austin and their crew that look just closely because I yeah. know those clubs yeah, yeah. they're just you don't understand how much they actually know about this stuff well they all come from different backgrounds too yeah. don't they like as you say Adrian Caruso was pre- previously at Champion Data mm. um, a couple of other recruiters have come through that sort of pathway too a few others have come via talent management role so like Stephen Canole at the, at the Lions was a, an Oakley Chargers yes. um, talent manager that's yep. where he started and that became a bit of a pathway too we of course know about some of the former players who have taken on roles here there and everywhere um, at different clubs I think Derek Hyman might have had a, a background in the fire department yep. Jason Taylor was um, you know fixing air conditioners he was a <laughs> sort of qualified sort of friggy yeah. I guess you'd call it um, and he's probably one of the best out there now David Walls was, was on Carlton's list as a father-son obviously Robert Walls' son yep. and, and obviously has built up that Fremantle list really strongly too. So there's, I think you have to look at the results and, and there's no, this is an obvious question, obvious answer, but there's no um, doubt that the, the ladder tells a story and the clubs that are, are really good at it. Mm. And I think the way Melbourne over a number of years really is traced back to that flag, like no one thought they were going to win a premiership Melbourne ever, really. Like it's been 55 years or whatever it was and just pain after pain after pain after pain. So they took took it back in 2013 and really started at that point to build their list. And I think that shows how long it can take. Like that was a seven or eight year build. Double picks here. They, they double picked on um, on Petrarca and Brayshaw in yep. 2014. Of course, they're early picks, but you still have to, to get them right. Um, and then 15, they pick up another couple of players, and, and one of them's Clayton Oliver, who, who I think is – one of the best draft picks ever. Literally, like, uh, it's it's such an easy thing to say. It's easy know. to say now, but he didn't even play um, big country. No, and, and it's easy for other clubs as well to say oh, we we would have had him. But it's one thing to say; it's another thing to actually do it. So there's that, and and Bonson Pelly the year, two years before that as well in 2013, which is probably my first year of doing it properly, the draft, and, and that was like the rise that everyone's like, whoa, that's an early, that's early, that's early. But Simon Dalrymple and the Dogs, yeah, you know, and Jason McCartney there, you know pulled out a, a ripping selection that's gone on to, again, build a premiership. So, yeah, the Cats clearly know how to do it, and they've created a different model. Yep. Richmond's um, premiership success was built on the back of really good recruiting over a number of years there. So, yeah, I, I think other clubs do it in different ways, but there are a few that over the past few years have really nailed it. The Melbourne one's really interesting, isn't it? Like, again, you said about having the two picks, Brayshaw and um, Petrarca, who were early, but just on that, uh, Clayton Oliver. I remember watching that draft, yeah. thinking, "What the fuck? Like, that's a high pick for a guy that hasn't played. You know, he's come and played some really good footy at the end of the year. Yeah, and he was a bit chunky. It, and- <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't. You know, like great look highlights are incredible. But yeah. as a Melbourne supporter, I think you'd be lying if you were saying, "Geez, are we doing the right thing here?" I think over a number of years, we've seen clubs take some risks. It doesn't always work, but the ones that work, and that that was a, a, a risk to a degree. Um, a fantastic pick. Oh, huge pick. Who's the recruiters at Melbourne? Jason Taylor's the, the main recruiter there and, and Tim Lamb as well has been a part of that list manager. And their um, strategy of future trading as well has been probably ahead of the game in some degree too, I think, in that they've just paid it forward. Like It's almost like their picks are on lay-by. <laughs> they just, they just um, always use their future pick and just try and dangle it out. They've tried to do that again in recent days and use their future draft selections, their future first-round picks to get extra picks in this year because then next year you just you use your future picks again and mm. sort of do that thing. So 
it's um it's a clever strategy. I'm sort of a bit surprised more, more clubs don't do that as much or be as aggressive. But if you've got a cup in the hand, it's, it obviously helps. But it was part of the reason they got the cup to yeah, do that. for sure. One um, person I really respect in footy, just someone that I've crossed paths with, Lowe's Kinnear Beetson and, and yep. the Swans, and I love what they've been able to do with their list too. Like you look at the grand final this year, obviously didn't go their way, but their list I feel is – one of the best young lists of talent in the in the game. Yeah, and Kinnear's been um, a stalwart of the industry and mm. you know, he's the captain of the recruiting department, I think, in, yeah. in terms of the whole um, network. He's uh, yeah, he's one of the best out there for sure. And alongside you know some of the other experienced people in Stephen Wells and, and Scott Clayton at other clubs. And you know, the, these are guys who share experience and also through experience, you get to know what works, what doesn't, but also lean on um, – modern sort of appliances in terms of how you look at players and that can be around data, around GPS, around the, the really um, closely looked at medicals and all that type of thing. Everyone takes a really deep lens into what makes a player tick. It's not just how well they're playing for the quarter cannons or, or what they did against the Oakley Chargers or how they did against Norwood or anything like that or for Claremont. They can be playing really well, but then you dig a little bit deeper and the data might say one thing, the psych mates might say another thing as well. Like that's an important sort of part and mm. piece of how it all looks now because um, we know how you have to be so mentally, you know, sort of on top of things to be able to forge an AFL career, don't you? It, it, it's, a, it's a strenuous, mm. stressful experience to be having to front up every single week. For sure. Is there, is there any sort of like stories you're aware of like post-draft and when you're like going, shit, why did they end up going there and then you found out what they knew about that player that no one else did? Uh, I feel like – I don't want to sound like a dickhead here. I feel like I probably have an idea leading into the draft you know. why that happens. You know. But the, the difficult part is um, sometimes from our point of view is explaining that to the public. So there's been some cases – I won't say who, but there's been some cases where some players have slipped and, and sometimes not even been drafted. And from the outside looking in, I can see why – fans of the draft would say, well, what the hell's gone on there? Like he's he's done this, this and this. He, he looks really good. He tests well. Like it's all tick in the box. But then something character-wise or, or psych-related might have popped up that the clubs just say, well, the risk versus reward, maybe the risk wins on this one and, and we, we're going to go for a different option. So, mm. And from our point of view, it's, it's difficult because these guys are 17 or 18 and – from a media point of view, it's hard, I think, and and sometimes inappropriate to sort of put that out there to the public. It's people always say, "Well, look at what they do in the US in terms of the draft coverage and and all that." The US draftees are like twenty one. Yeah, it's a big three years um, difference, isn't it? When you're eighteen to twenty one, and what you can handle um, from a, a public sort of focus. Yeah, and even like I think about myself as a sixteen year old, seventeen, eighteen year old, like what. I was like then to hopefully, you know, what I'm matured in now is a total different person. So some of these kids maybe just need that extra one or two years to just develop and learn. Like yeah. I, I look back now and think, fuck, maybe getting picked up a couple of years later would have been better for yeah. me. I wouldn't have yeah. been as stupid as I was. <laughs> and there are so many stories of that too now. Mm. And that's where the mid-season draft has been. John so, Newcomb and yeah. these guys, yeah. Like would, would those guys have made it and done well and survived a couple of years without having the two years out? Mm. And, and the or the or the the miss because the miss can drive you can change you they you know I know clubs are really good at when players miss out on being drafted a lot of recruiters will text and message and call players who missed out saying look here's some feedback uh, we 
we we liked you. You're on the you're on our board. We didn't have the picks. That can be true or not. It, it can be a little bit of, of a hug, but the, but they, the players sort of need that. And then say, okay, come go back next year. What are you going to do next year? You're going to come back because we're going to still be watching. So if you're still good enough and you're still keen, we'll still be following you. So there's still always an opportunity. Yeah, it shows that grit, doesn't yeah. it? And that's but the Tim character. Kelly missed like 38 drafts yeah, <laughs> or I know. something, whatever and it was. And they finally get going. <laughs> what's the um, rules or what's your sort of theory on – obviously clubs are going to be hitting you up for opinion um, or, or, you know, that's a question as well. And what do you give them versus do you give certain – like, you know, better relationships with certain people? Do you, are you happy to give out your information? I know a lot of it's public anyway, but like how do you deal with that? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I – that can be a challenge, but I do feel like um, sometimes I end up like a little bit of a middleman sometimes in terms of the information because I'm trying to get what's happening here, here, and here, and here. And particularly at this point of the year, you know, the fandom draft is yeah. a big piece of content. It's probably our biggest every year on afl.com.au apart from maybe the premiership win or whatever that is or a shock, you know, sacking or something like that. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a challenge because you don't want to um, – I'm always really careful not to – to burn anyone because, you know, relationships are everything. The industry is too small and I've worked too hard at sort of creating relationships to, to burn them for the sake of even if it is a pick. Like I don't mm. care enough about getting picked 13 right in the draft to, to burn a relationship or, or 14 in the draft or 20 in the draft or 10 in the draft. I don't care. So is that, is that more meaning like clubs are annoyed if you – Put a player next to their pick. That's right or wrong. That's right or wrong. Like, would they be? They'd probably want it to be wrong. Yeah, that's yeah, true. They they would want it to be wrong, but they also recognise. I I said to one club once, I said, they said, "Oh, why do you care that much? Like, it doesn't matter." I said, "Well, it does matter because if I kept getting wrong every year, I wouldn't be doing my job. Like, like, someone would have replaced (laughs) me. (laughs) Like, there is there is a consequence at some point if I don't get them right or don't get a few of them right. Is there um? Is there clubs that sort of – you just say you've got a bit more of a you, – you, you do your top 10, obviously, but there could be Smokies yeah. that are coming through and that's what, you know, everyone loves to steal those later picks. Is there ones where clubs are like, mate, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> we just want to keep this on the DL. Or just lie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I get that. Like, I get that, you know, sometimes and, – and that's where – I was saying to someone the other day, if, if there was no live trading anymore, if there was – let's say live trading wasn't a thing, yeah. I reckon I could get the top 20 because, mm. like um, – the clubs would be more willing and more open to sort of say because really you couldn't be jumped. But now you can be jumped and if a bit of intel gets out that you like a player here at, at pick eight or pick 15, then the club at pick 20 might go, oh, okay, we really like him. They we don't know him. that we like him. Let's go and get ahead, get ahead of him and, and grab him. So that that's where intel – is more important to have, but it's also more important to keep, which is like that's the balance that clubs have to, to hold and, and that's the balance that I try to sort of navigate as well. Very, very. It's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. This time of the year I was sort of – I'm not sleeping too well because I'm like waking up with all these sort of permutations of what the top ten looks like. Yeah. It's not healthy. But. Who's, it, who's it a big year for? Like who's got who, – who needs to have a good draft with the picks they have – with where their clubs at, yeah. who would you say are the clubs that need to go in and have done their research this this draft? Well, they they would have all done a lot of research. They yeah. work really hard, but, but some I'm, clubs don't even have any picks, do they? Like no, and and some like Geelong has picked seven and then fifty eight. Yeah, or, or Richmond has picked like three hundred and three. Which, or something. by the way, is one of the great that, Geelong. They are. They're, they're, they take the piss. They're, they? they're masters. That is the, the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And sorry, I just want to make this this statement because our game is so even. 
We say we have salary caps, we have soft caps, we have the draft, we have all these things. You look at any other game in the world, they're all privately owned, they're backed by money, it's got no certain bits. And clubs go, oh, well, how can Geelong, you know, get bows and get all these players and pick seven? It's like, you know what? Because they fucking do their work and they get it done. Like any club could have done that. Yeah. Any club really could have had that it, pick. It's it's a great point. And like I've sort of over the last few years sort of started to do more and turn the, the much draft stuff into trade stuff and uh, – they were first into Jack Bowes. Mm. So when Jack Bowes had to make a decision at the end of the year around what he wanted to do, he was more interested in who was interested in him before pick seven became a thing. So he was able to work out, hey, the cats were into me and, and keen on me yeah. and showing interest in me in June or July or whatever it was when he had two years to go on a, two and a half years to go on a contract at that point. He wasn't playing the AFL side for a reason. He was injured and you know still coming back from that shoulder injury. But really when he came back to his decision, it was who wants me? Who doesn't? Who's not interested as much in the pick? Because in July, July mid-year, pick seven wasn't part of the deal. That only come in late to create the market, which worked. And I understand why the Suns did it. There's different philosophies and all that, and they need to sort of shapen up their, their salary cap and, and get it in order before they started to hit to the free agency market a bit more. But you're exactly right. And that's where they were able to get in ahead. Yeah, and let's not forget, uh, I think, the year prior or the year prior to that, Jack Bowes is like, one of their best players. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's exciting got a bit going for him, Jack. Yeah. I think he'd be good for the Cats. I think so, in a good system. Sorry, the question before before we got excited was that, was like what clubs do you think need to have, not need to have, but are probably poised to really want to go hard and yeah. go well? Well, the Giants have one and, and four inside the top 20, so they've got a big hand, and, and one of them might be traded out. 19 could be traded out potentially, so mm. that's that's one to keep an eye on. West Coast. So they might trade 19 out, you reckon? Yeah, that's a chance. They've got Good. some interest in that. And that'll yep. be the first pick off the second night. So, again, what we were talking about earlier, mm. that'll have a big demand depending on who's available. Um, West Coast have pick eight and pick 12, and they move back from pick two as part of that mega deal with, with Jason Horn, Francis and Rioli and, and all those guys mixed up in it. And and it's a massive draft for them. They have four picks inside the first 26 selections. We know they had a shocking year. Like it was a horrible year. Everything that could have gone wrong did. But they took five picks last year in the draft. They take take another four inside the twenty six. Like it's a, you can do a rebuild really quickly and change a complexion of a side really fast if you nail your early picks. Mm. Like you look at Port Adelaide in two thousand and eighteen, and they're another club that I think you know it, it drafted really well and, and built their list really well over a period of time. Um, you know, Rosie uh, Butters and Butters, Dersma. Yeah. Like that that's a really good draft in one hit. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, this this whole group looks different on the basis of those guys. And and they were a club that did inch their way up the board. That tra- they didn't start the trade period with pick five. They made some tough calls with Wingard that year as well, moving him out. So they were able to change the the sort of look of a footy club with a really good draft. And I think West Coast will be able to do that too with a couple of good picks inside. What I think is a sort of established dozen top players in this year's group. It's huge. With that um that pick, just to confirm, so they went from pick two to having pick eight and 12. Yep. What do you think about that? Is that better for them? Do they need just like, – yeah. that seems like a fair drop and it's, losing Rioli. It's a drop, but they also got another pick in a little bit later, a future pick as well. So it was there was a lot mixed up in that. Yeah. Um, the other part of it is that there's some, a couple of West Australians who will be around the market of those two picks, whereas if they were picking a pick two, it probably would have been a little bit of a stretch potentially to, to take one of them. So one of the, both of them might be, and that's Ruben Jimby and Jed Bustling or maybe Ed Allen as well. All those three are going to be sort of around the mark. The other part of it is, and there's a couple of Victorian guys who probably um, a few clubs would have thought – 
aren't as keen to, to move into state this year. So if you got picked two and, and you're th- weighing up those sort of players, you That's might smart. you might move back and, and you know double up. Yeah. I, I thought it, it worked pretty well. That's actually really smart. They have to, and then the next part then, of course, is, is nailing the picks. And making sure they're there yeah. as well, which would be scary. Um, speaking of that, before you're talking about the, you know, Wingard leaving, uh, getting Butters, Dersma and um, – Rosé. Rosie? Rosé. It's actually Rosie. Yeah. It's, I thought it was Rosie. It gets called um, Rosie a lot, Rosie. but it's, it's yeah. Rosie. Rosie. Okay, cool. Um, Rosie. <laughs> Just by the by, it's there one of those little things in footy that like annoy me. That'll be the Not snippet. that you said no, the wrong that, thing. No, I, I, I don't know it, I how to wrong speak English, let alone people's <laughs> names. What are some other um, big drafts that you've sort of seen for people looking back now and go, Jesus Christ, that was that was pretty important. Like I think it's obvious now, but you can sort of forget really quickly that they were taken all at the same time. Like you look at yeah. Carlton, obviously close to my heart, and when even at the time I didn't realise how big it was going weedering Harry Mackay and Charlie Curnow. And you walk in, there's these three fucking massive <laughs> like units that yeah. are, you know, young boys at that stage. Yeah. You look at them now and you go, wow, like that was that was pretty good. Yeah, that was a. <laughs> no, you're, you're, yeah. you're right, and and Jack and Sil- David Cunningham, David sorry, Cunningham as well, and Jack yeah. Silvani later and Jack on Silvani, as well. Yeah. yeah, who's turned into a really good player yeah. too, and a pretty valuable player for them. Uh, yeah, that, that that was a big one, and they clearly other like clubs sometimes build midfield out, and, and Steve Silvani and that oh, crew spine, went the spine that, that year, didn't they? So, and the picks have got to line up. Like, I'm not. There's an element of luck to get everyone you want to in that you still have to nail the picks of course but your picks have to line up a little bit to what the the pool is too like mm. if that if that draft had been if the Carlton had those picks uh two years later that there's there was what maybe Aaron Norton inside the top 10 one of them like yeah. there, there wasn't that many sort of options for them so yeah there's that one um you think about the clubs right at the top end like I think yeah, Brayshaw and Chera were, were good picks for Freo a couple of years after that as well obviously Raul Anderson were were different sort of aspect for, for Gold Coast. But in picking those two together, we're able to combine um, sort of the mateship and, and leadership that they probably needed and required as well. Uh, I think Brisbane in 2016 in being able to pick up Hugh McCluggage and uh, Jared Berry in the first round was a really good draft as well. Um, so those guys... Yeah, and then I think the the next year they might have taken Stasevich and Bailey, I think, top of my head. Mm. So, and the Brisbane one's actually a good example of a trade that worked because they went down from the top of the draft from pick two to pick three, and for that they got in the pick that they took Jared Berry, and, and the Giants got who they wanted in, in Tim Taranto. The Bombers were staying there and taking Andy McGrath, and yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good crew, the uh, 2016 crop. It's exciting. Um, is there a player that you look back, over these now, it's easy to say in hindsight as well that you were like, Jesus, how did they slide hmm. to that pick? Like, you know, again, I don't want to keep talking. It's just because it's yeah, fresh yeah, in my yeah. mind. You think of Patrick Cripps going at pick 13 <laughs> in a, in that draft. Um, he's pretty well, good pick by uh, Shane Rogers and, and Wayne Hughes. Just a shout out to them if they're listening. Amazing pick. And sliding doors moment of that as well. And, and it's, I always think this is funny, like not in just in this example. There's so many sliding doors through the trade period. So that trade period, Taylor Adams wanted to leave the Giants mm-hmm. and he had a number of suitors – um, in Victoria, he's after two years, I think, at the Giants. See your year, Taylor Adams. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so two years at the Giants. Wants to come home, and and Collingwood. I think Essendon, maybe maybe Richmond as well, and Carlton. And if and if Carlton had, had um, chosen him, or he'd chosen Carlton, Carlton would have been prepared to give up their, their first round pick of that year's draft, and that of course was pick thirteen for for Paddy Cripps. Wow. They held 
He chose Collingwood. They get Patrick Cripps. Everyone's happy. They're really looking at Ben Lennon as well, the pick before. I think it would have been pretty tight call if Ben Lennon had and Patrick Cripps had actually both been on the board at that point. So, you know, not every story is a fairy tale. That one worked out fantastically well for, for Carlton. Only 13 picks later was Zach Merritt that year. Mm. Like pick 26. He's won, I think, three best and fairest and, you know, he's a superstar. So... Yeah, those those two are uh, on that year's draft. What about your? What was your memories of Lockie Neal? Like pick, I think it was nearly pick fifty eight. Yeah, he was a little bit before my time, but yeah, he's a crazy story, isn't it? Getting that far. I mean, you go back and yeah, you can see why. For I, I can sort of understand why Lockie Neal would have. Um, got that far because because well, we go that ebb and flow, don't we? Of athletic versus footballer, yeah. And I think uh, you correct me he, if I'm he was wrong. In, he was in the, the was he in the ebb or the flow? Well, I think he was in the ebb of natural uh, yeah. of athlete. Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. he's an incredible athlete. We know, but I think he's more of just a natural ball winner hunter. Like, and then at a probably at a smaller height than what they were picking at that stage. Everyone yeah. wanted like the next Nat Fife because they already had one. Well, I mean, Nat Fife in, in, in and of himself is a bit of a slide. Like he's yeah. picked nineteen or something, but he was drafted as a key forward, wasn't and he? Yeah, like, he had a kick to goals in the grand final and sort of shot him up and yeah. it's one of those funny ones where everyone sort of knew he was going to Fremantle but no one took him before that it was, yeah. and he was picked as this wiry kid and like everyone's picked up those visions of like if, yeah. if him getting drafted and playing for WA and he's wiry as and skinny and taking marks but yeah. he was probably not a shock that he slid that far. Caleb Daniel was one I underrated. Um, I probably thought he uh, didn't have the tricks that he does and I, I probably underestimated, and I think probably a fair few clubs did too, underestimated how good he can be. And w- the things he was good at were so good that they took away from the, the deficiency of being 170 centimetres. Yeah. There's going to be a really interesting story next year. There's a guy called Nick Watson. Um, I call the wizard, the wizard Watson, and he's amazing. He's, he's 169 centimetres. Mm. He kicks goals out of everywhere. Like he's just fantastic. Where's he from? Eastern Rangers, and mm. he's going to Caulfield Grammar as well. He'll kick, he'll kick 100 goals next year almost if he plays, you know, a full season. He kicks that many goals, but he's 169 centimetres. So how early can you take um, – and that'll be the discussion all next year, like next year's news today. It, it, it'll be always wow. about how early you can take a guy who's that height in the draft. And, yeah, I'm really fascinated to see which way the club's pulling him already. I love that. I'm excited. Man, this is cool. The Wizard. The Wiz. Watch your space. The All right, let's talk about this year. Um, give us your give us your phantom. What's your <laughs> what's your draft looking like at the moment? And it might be better. Like, do you, do you know the picks off by heart, or do you need me to get it up? And I'm sure you. I'm sure <laughs> I know you that know. I'll give you, uh, the top ten. I know pretty well. Yeah. Um, look, number one, and maybe even just a bit of a synopsis about the player as well. Yeah, like, yeah. Too. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll hold my uh, phantom draft till closer to because yep. that's yep. Uh, that's prized information. I yep, haven't quite course, settled on it. I haven't quite settled on what it looks like okay, yet, good. which is like part of the this this week. I'm sort of working on like six variations of the top fifteen. It's crazy. It's like yep. beautiful mind stuff. But I can imagine because even as it's not like I can imagine um, if a certain play goes in a different, it probably changes no, the whole it thing. Fucks up the whole yeah, thing. That, that's yeah. that's the biggest worry on draft nights. Like a couple of years ago, um, uh, Will Phillips went at North Melbourne pick, and like his name popping up. You could probably catch the vision of me like <laughs> just slumping in my chair, yeah. like knowing what was going to happen. It was going to be carnage after that in, in the top ten because like the deck of cards just uh, it was it was way too early for the deck yeah. of cards to go down. Usually it's a little bit deeper on, but yeah, um, the top end of this year I think everyone expects um, Cap or Cabin to the Giants, but whether they bid or not is the question mark there. Um, Harry Sheasel and, and George Wardlaw. 
um, very strongly linked to North Melbourne's couple of picks at two and three. And, mm. and Harry Sheasel, very exciting player, kicked fifty odd goals this year. Yeah, the Sheas, the Sheasel. Yep. Sam uh, is in the this is he doesn't really like sitting in on the shows anymore. He gets over me talking. He said this is the one I want to be in today. He's an <laughs> avid North Melbourne supporter. He's still North Melbourne put up a thing of Clarko talking last night. He's been he's been watching it on repeat the whole morning. So just for any North Melbourne supporter, I've been harder on them than anyone. Is there some hope with these two players? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that um, well, she's will kick a lot of goals. He just knows how to kick goals, and, yeah. and he play a little bit of midfield time. And Wardlaw, I think, can be what Horn Francis could have been as well, yeah. and and maybe in the future too. Wardlaw's 183, 182 centimeter mid, good overhead, kicks goals, and and. In his big games this year, he was best on ground in just about all of them. Oh, we love that. He was best on ground for Sandringham against Oakley in, in round one. Uh, for, for Oakley against Sandringham in round one. He was best on ground for the AFL Academy against the Collingwood VFL side. Big games he lifts and he's got That's a bit a of swagger. That's a big thing for me. That's a big thing for – like if I was a recruiter, it's like I would love to see who's performing well on the big stage. He doesn't need 35 touches to yep. influence a game. He can be a 23-touch man and, and – change it. And really – Influential, yeah. so he those guys are there. The bombers pick is the one that everyone's talking about, and look, I think Elijah Sardis and Mateus Filippo are, are the guys that are, are going to be weighed up there. Elijah is now correct me if I'm wrong. There's been some great edits from the AFL I've been <laughs> watching on Instagram. Is he the athletics? Uh, he was doing hurdling yeah. and he's a bit uh, he, of an outside wiry midfielder. Yeah, he, he looks good. I like him. He's he's this year he's actually become more of an inside as well. So yeah, he's got he said that. that. Great, yeah, 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 he wanted to make clear that he's winning the MT. I get it. I get it, mate. That's good. He's looking big recently. He is. He's I, was, I great. saw him at training uh, about a week or so ago, and he's um, he's put on some size. So he he will be a, a hybrid. Yeah, they like hybrid yep. draftees being a hybrid mid. He, that's that's him. One hundred eighty six centimeters, and um, he had a really good year in between some injury mid season. And Filippo's one hundred ninety centimeters. Big boy. Big boy plays mid forward. Kicks long goals. He has the the brash confidence that's come through, and and it's probably got a few people talking in the lead up to the draft. There's probably always one or two players who um, speak their mind, and and he's done that. Yep, like that. So what's that? That's the that's the bombers at four. Four. Of course, Ashcroft's in there wherever the big comes. Wherever but, it comes. Uh, after that, we've got Gold Coast, um, Hawthorne, and Geelong. And, and Gold Coast, yeah, Ruben Jimby is in that mix for them. Bailey Humphrey's in the mix there. Jai Clark's a midfielder who I think the Cats would like to see get through to their pick. But uh, whether he does or not, the Hawks have a, a number of players in their mix. Is he a Falcons boy, Jai Clark? He is. Yeah, okay. He's a Collingwood supporter, though, so not but mm. a very local. There you go. Um, very local prospect for them. And then the Hawks have interviewed everyone. They interview more people than you. They, they, <laughs> they, I've used that line before, but Graham Norton. I really like that. That was very, very good. Uh, like that. They, they did. They did like a, a series of interviews on over the weekend with these guys for like for the fourth or fifth time. So they oh, they yeah. putting their draftees through the through the. Um, interview process. They want to know as much as they can. It's a big pick for them, but Cam McKenzie's in there. Um, Elijah Sardis, if he got through. Philippo, if he got through. So then there's that yeah. sort of mix of what the Bombers do as it has the cascade of down the down the top 10. Um, who else is in that group? Jai Clark, another option there. The Cats, all the same names there. West Coast, Jimby could be getting through to them as the, as the local. I like Where's Jimby? Jimby's WA boy. He is. Yep. Yeah, he's from Dunsborough. So I think two or three hours out of Perth. Yep. Um, but Played some great school footy this year as well and, and sort of 189 half-back tall mid. Everyone loves a tall mid. Mm. Uh, so he's right in that group as I well. tall mids. <laughs> they just ruined the game for me. Well, yeah, the, yeah. the BBMs. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and 
Big body mid, that's yeah, in case yeah, anyone's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just some weird acronym they start talking about. Uh, who's after that? St Kilda's after that. Again, like they're all sort of looking at the same players. Yeah. It's going to just depend on what happens. And then the Carlton line. comes in, could Elijah Hollands, this is his brother, Ollie, um, be a chance there. He's um, a sort of wingman, half half back potentially. He's a really good runner, five minutes 54 in the 2K. Wow. So he flies. That you tell me, like that, that's AFL. as quick as you can get. Yeah. What did you say? Fifty-four. Yeah. Five fifty-four. Five fifty-four. I think the quickest I've seen, I've heard of Sam um, Walsh yep. around that that time. Yeah. But I think the quickest I've ever seen was um, Ed Kerno, and that was just I think around probably five fifty. But that was, I say this in like the, I always talk about Eddie comes up in a lot of conversations. That's not on aerobic ability. That's just on being a fucking mental like human like he nearly <laughs> dies after those runs like it's not I don't think it's got anything to do with aerobicness it's just more like he's so yeah he's just the kernos himself the kernos and then yeah. Charlie's is just the same and, and I think there is some running genes in the family isn't yeah, there yeah yeah the sister Eliza is an yeah. incredible um, runner as well I don't and, know if George can run oh, I don't think he can um, <laughs> unfortunately but he's doing other good things but yeah those that, that's as good as you can get on a 2k and yeah. one thing with the fitness it, it Again, going back a while, I don't think it was as respected as much as it was until I feel, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it did for me anyway, but you saw a guy like Brad Hill get picked up, um, who, Stephen Hill's brother. Yeah. We look at that pick now and go, that was um, a great pick by the Hawks, but he, at that stage, probably wasn't the player he, nah. like, he wasn't the player he is now. Like, nah. he, he was just a very, he, I think, it, did He's he- very outside. Did he jump up because he won the 2K or at- the draft camp or something yeah, like that. He won he the beat like, test or something. Hawthorne were, Hawthorne were really keen on runners at that yeah. point. And he added, like, he came in pretty quickly and made an impact in those three premierships. Yeah. And he, like, he was young yeah. at that point. Now, the first flag was nearly 10 years ago now. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he was a combine star, I guess you'd call it. And there's always a, a player who does well at the combine who all of a sudden becomes the it player of the month. Mm. And, and this year it's Ed Allen. Who's is that Oscar Allen's brother? No, WA. He's, yeah. he's Ben Allen's son, who Ben used to play for Hawthorne and was Frio's first captain. But he played 98 games for Hawthorne, so he doesn't qualify oh. for the son. And, and Frio, he played 50-odd, so he doesn't qualify there either. Um, I did say, what is your dad? What, have you asked your dad? Like, what was he doing? Like, next yeah, couple literally. Of games, he goes, oh, yeah, I asked him. But he, he sort of said he wasn't thinking about having kids when <laughs> he made the move back to WA. But he, he ran the 20-meter sprint in 2.81. Wow. He's, all his other stuff was really, really strong, and he's a 194-centimeter midfielder. So, And he didn't play for the first half of the season through a back stress fracture. So all of a sudden, the clubs are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the combine does is – if you go really well, it, it means all of a sudden clubs, not that they weren't already looking at him, yeah. but they just go, oh, okay, let's just have another deeper look at that. Has he used that pace in a game yet? And when they're seeing if he's using it in a game yet, they're saying, oh, look at that handball. Has he started to use his height and handball over his head and all that type of thing come together on the back of, you know, this 2.81 run, yeah. which is one of the fastest ever. Yeah. What, what um is, do, do you think, like one of the most respected things in the draft camp is that the the distance stuff is it the agility like what what, what are people looking at because I remember the there was some 
a really weird stat on whoever won the agility at the draft camp went on to be like a 200 game yeah, player right. or something like that I haven't seen that yeah. um, I might have made it up no no <laughs> roll with it. I'm pretty sure it, did, <laughs> well, it was that's good news for Darcy Jones then who just beat the all time record wow well, so that was that was held by Stephen Hill I'm pretty sure it was fuck it mate you, you need an assistant you I, I, this, this is crazy <laughs> yeah he was 7.7 7 seconds wow. he's, a, he's a smaller type from WA who plays all ends of the ground but uh this is going to sound a little bit naff, but the, the biggest thing marker that clubs look at, the biggest test in the draft combine is actually improvement because at the start of the year, they do all the same sort of testing and then they interview the players across the year, the recruiters and go, okay, well, your 2K was really good, but your 20 meters shit out. So like whatever it is, mm. like what are you doing to work on that? Okay. And the players say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm working with the sprint coach or I'm, I haven't done anything. Okay. Well, maybe you should or do that. We're looking to see if you do that. So then at the end of the year, there's evidence one way or another if you've improved or not. So, and if you have that, that we'll talk, we'll go back to the hard work conversation at the start of the, the show. Like it comes back to that hard work mentality where he's done the effort and he, he might not be in top five of anything. Mm. But if he's able to be showing that he's getting better, what can he be in the the AFL program? For sure. I, I Just a little case study of that that I, really sticks out to me is I remember when we were doing the AS program and it was back when it was, you know, 2016-year-olds uh, and there's top yep. age boys yep. as well. So a part of the intake was Andrew Gaff. And it was at, at that stage, I, it wasn't the gaff that he'd become in the top age year. It was prior to that season and yep. he'd had a good bottom age season. Anyway. We did a testing day and he's always been good at running, but I think like he came back and had, you know, quite high skin folds. We did some strength testing and he was probably one of the um, strength wasn't his like strong suit in that particular testing. And there was all these tests we did. Anyway, these used to be like quarterly. So we'd come back every like, you know, 10 weeks or something of the year and, and catch back up. And I remember he, they showed a graph of him every time he came back he went from being like one of the lowest performers to being the best performers by the end of that year. And everyone else that was good had sort of just tapered yeah. the way it was. So it was yep. really cool. To, and there's no surprises of his work right and how he does now to what he's become. Was that up at Canberra? It was, it was at Canberra. Did you enjoy those camps? I did. I was actually a bit scared to go away from home, to be honest. I wouldn't have tra I wouldn't have done very well if I got picked up interstate early, but I loved those camps. It was awesome. So one of the my first sort of times I was really on the draft beat was the end of 2012. So I, I sort of took over doing the draft at the end of 2012-ish. Uh, done a little bit here and there, but that was sort of where, okay, you, you're looking after it. And I got myself up on one of the camps to Canberra, AIS camp, and I spent like 12 days at this camp. It's a long time at AIS. It is. You know, there's like not the, much going on no, there. There's not much going on. No. And the hay fever was killing me. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember like having watery eyes the whole yeah. time. But getting to know that group and, and even like 10 years on um, – that group had it like Luke McDonald was in that group and Jack Billings and I remember playing cricket with Billy Hartung out the back and like it was a really good squad. James Aish, um, Tom Boyd was just coming through. Josh Kelly. It's funny now because um, they don't do that. The, the yeah, Bontempelli was part of that crew, yep. crew as well and it like he was just the just the kid. Mm. No one really knew about him too much at all. So it was fascinating sort of seeing their growth. And that being that first sort of draft group that I'd started, started to follow, that that's a really good memory for me going back to the Canberra trip mm. um, because they're all just kids, like not having any idea really around what was their next 12 months was going to hold. Literally. You're so young. I don't and, think I've been to Canberra since. but Yeah, no, me neither, to be honest. But you, you are so young and naive at that stage and you're so thinking about yourself. And Louis more, Taylor was in that group. Louis, yeah, yeah, so there's some gun players. Like I look back to, to my intake and there's some guys that never actually got picked up, but then there's some guys 
that at the stage I was thinking, geez, are these guys going to make it? And some of those guys are, you know, some of the best players in the <laughs> game now, like Luke Parker. Um, we had Luke Parker that was, was in there. There was, he was an older, one of the older yep. boys. Um, Harley Bernal, who easily the most talented bloke I've ever seen play the game. Like, yeah, right. Did some things yeah. that I've just never seen before. Um, but ones at my age, you had, the, you know, Dylan Shield, um, Adam Trelaw, um, Tom Mitchell, no, Toby didn't actually make it. He was he wasn't good enough at that stage, but it quickly didn't work well. <laughs> but there was one, sorry, there was one that uh, was unbelievable, and I didn't know how good this guy was at the stage. And I obviously showed it when he got picked up at Chad um, Wingard, yeah, right. who came through was a quiet guy, but just an unbelievable was Stringer player. In that group? No, he was, was a, I think agent? a year below yeah. me. Okay, so he might yeah. have been the one um, with you or the one in between. But yeah, yeah it's cool to look at those. those do, you, camps. Do, you, do you start with like a team photo? I don't. I should. I should look at that. I should. Shoot the right for you. Yeah, I might put it up in the studio. It's <laughs> exciting. Um, mate, well, last one on the draft before we, we move on. How, looking back, okay, we, we, I want to do this a yearly thing and even more if you're happy to, but let's look back in a couple of years and I want you to put down two or three players. It's a bit smokier. Yeah. And we can track back and see how they were. You heard it here first type situation. I'm sure there'll be plenty more for you, but on the Dylan Friends community, give us a couple little slideies that yeah, if you yeah. pick 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or even rookie picks that you think, geez, these guys could be cool. There's a guy called Harvey Gallagher, I reckon's going to be taken probably 30 plus. And he, he missed out on last year's draft. He missed out on mid-season draft. And then all of a sudden he, he got flicked to the halfback flank. He's Bendigo Piney, so he's 19. Um and he started kicking all these goals off half back. Like his ear was like crazy for the last six weeks. He'll get drafted now. So I think he's a player. I don't think he's going to be like a superstar. He's not that type of frame. He's a smaller type. But I think we'll see a fair bit Role of player. him. player. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll see a bit of a bit of him wherever he ends up and be pretty handy. Um, the Ruckman's going to be really interesting in Harry Barnett. Yes, Big H. Yeah, Brett Delilio, shout out to the Lids. And they, they manage Big H. He's a big fan of the show, actually. Shout there you out go. He'd be listening. He, yep. Um, he... He's like an athletic ruck. So, and again, like who knows where a ruck's going to get drafted, really. I think he could be available late in the first round, even sort of midway through the second. But time will probably show that to be um, a way off, I reckon. But again, give it three years because that's yeah. not going to happen for a while. Who else could be um, a player who would be around that range? I, I, I'm interested. I know this is a bit of an obvious one, but Jaden Davey, I feel like could be, and we've all heard a lot about Alwyn this year. Yeah. Jaden's a different player in that he's a small forward. Everyone looks at Alwyn and thinks he's going to be a small forward. He's probably better up the ground as a half forward mid. That's where his best games came this year. And Alwyn will be picked in the first 30 or so. Are but, they brothers? Yeah, twins. Yep. So twins? the, the, the oh, father-son wow. twins yeah, yeah, from yeah. Alwyn. Um, first father-son twins, I think, uh, ever. Wow. I'm pretty sure. Um, it's not often to get twins, is it? No. The same draft. Mackay's, College Asneys. Yeah. Maybe a couple others recently, but... Uh, Jaden Davies had two knee recos, so he hasn't played and no one's really seen him. But everyone you speak to who has seen a fair bit of his footy a couple of years ago says, like, just keep an eye. Like, he could be a real bargain late in the piece and they might just get him with their last pick. There's not going to be that many picks this year. They'll probably be around 55 to 60. So it's going to be hard yards getting a selection and there's going to be a fair few good players who do miss out. But they're probably a couple who just could be ones to keep an eye out on uh, in the future. Come back to us in a couple of years. Ton. Lastly on that, so you say there would be a few players miss out, and that happens every year. With the, you know, you've know, got the rookie draft as well, but yep. sometimes it's a bit more of a mature age or guys have been delisted type picks, these sorts of situations. Who, um, Where do you see the best pathway for those 
kids now not getting picked up in the draft as an 18-year-old? Because we are seeing 19-year-olds, 20, 21, you know, yeah. up to 24, 20, whatever age you are now. Is it's it- it's draft's been so good for that. Yeah. And you, another opportunity lies six months away if yeah. you're good enough and, and ready and all that. So, yeah, if if the NAB League, obviously, as I said before, accounts for a large majority of the draft. But if you have sort of some extenuating circumstance, you're every ch- across your, your draft, you missed a bit of footy with injury or illness or or something happened that you maybe didn't get to play 25 games, mm. there's a chance that you'll get a, a, a recall as a 19-year-old. And clubs are pretty willing to sort of assess them on their merits. Like they're just in the pool. Doesn't matter if you're a year older, really. Like that's not going to make a difference to you if you're good enough. And then Gallagher's been an example of that, sort of in the second half of this year, that he's been overlooked twice already, and he's he's going to get picked. I think so. It's awesome. Yeah, you love those stories. Yeah, I, I hope I haven't bossed him here, but no, no, <laughs> but no. I think I think he'll get drafted at some point. So yeah, I, I feel like um, yeah, I feel like the, there is opportunities for those guys mid year. VFL Vf, VFL has become. VFL's a different sort of VFL's in a different spot, I think, in terms of what that sort of competition is. But um, clubs are certainly scouting it and, and looking at it. And the best part of that is going to clubs like look at Footscray and, and Box Hill. Yeah, like Sam pick Mitchell guys, picks yeah. like, and and the Hawks pick up a Box Hill player every every six months at the moment. Newcomb, um, they've just picked up Fergus Green, who's been there. Um, there's been James Blank, I think, was mid year as a mm. key back out of their program. Vincent Naducci was nearly picked up there yeah, from, we, from Push Pull. Uh, drafted yeah. from Push Pull. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think uh, the Dogs have taken a fair few out of the Footscray yeah, program Gowers, as well. Um, yeah, one of the Hayes boys um, at yeah. different points. So yeah, yeah. Gardner. So yeah, yeah the, those clubs that uh, have shown a want to sort of make their program one, because not all. Not every club is as good as turning their AFL program and, and it's hard. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure, I'm, and you would know like better than me that it's 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 a different. Um, it's hard to translate everything that you want to do in your AFL program to your VFL program. But the ones that do it best find that, that is a pathway to get picked. Definitely, and that's where I feel um, you know a bit of history on that is, and it's probably widely known. But you look at um, Carlton, and that that just didn't probably embrace it early enough back in the day when you had guys like Kane Lambert and Nick Nick Meese and yeah. Adam Mark on running around in the twos um, who were better than all the players yeah. playing against. And you're like, fucking hell. Like, you, you, sometimes I felt guilty getting recalled to play seniors when I'm running out next to Kane Lambert in the VFL. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. like you play, We could see that. You well, know? Look, I was look like, at all fuck the, me. Look at all the flag teams recently. Um, go back to Hawthorne. Like Box Hill was a, was a, was a really great program. Um, Richmond's VFL won. A yep. flag. Geelong. Geelong's VFL were dominant for ages. Um, Footscray won a premiership, I reckon, in one of their seasons around 16. Yep. So like, Did you say Casey? I think you said that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I didn't say Casey, but yeah. a great example yeah. as well. This you're winning this year. It yeah. works. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And just lastly on that, do you, do you think that clubs take the Sandful and Waffle as yeah. is the same 100%. credential as that? Yeah, I, I think they definitely look at it just as closely. Um, yep. And... The, uh, I think prior to 2022, like 21 and 20 were hard for clubs in drafting. And I think there's going to be probably a few, fair few more misses out of the 2020 crop in particular, just in that most recruiters are based in Victoria and they weren't able to get interstate. So they're picking some players they've never met live, mm. never met in person, never watched live. And that's going back to sort of 2001 days. Like that's the sort of stuff of Definitely. 20 years ago. I think it's well, like really think about it if you're a player of what, style of game nearly suits you the best too. Like I yeah, personally, for yeah. example, it's just my own little part, but my cousin, um, Tay Miles, I used to play for Hawthorne. 
He played for Williamstown last year, team of the year. You know, he I don't even think he wants to like he's not heart set on getting picked up again, but yep. he's going over and playing for Claremont. And I know he's gonna absolutely tear that up over there next year. Just that style of game, bit more outside. He's a beautiful ball user, quick, loves playing. I was like, fuck, if you can do this at, at Williamstown when it's blowing a gale, yeah. the worst weather of all time, like I can't wait to see what happens when he goes over. It's a, to, it's the a great example and like Sanford Waffle gets watched as much. The, the VFL is is sort of the East Coast VFL now yeah. as well. So there's obviously um, AFL sides involved in yeah. that in in Queensland and New South Wales. So they're playing against sort of um, VFL listed players a lot. I, I went to school with Cal Sinclair, and um, I always think of his story when you talk about that yeah. type of thing. Like he was overlooked in his draft, a bit of a sort of he was always tall and everything like that, but um, was a little bit of a, a later bolter, I guess you could say, in terms of his growth spurt. And he was playing Port Melbourne VFL, went over to Subiaco, and and that style of game really suited him. He was mm. athletic and able to get around the ground and could sort of play as a bit of a forward and then got picked up by West Coast, played in a grand final, went to Sydney, you think he played in a grand final there too. Yeah. Like it's, and it was drafted at 20 or so. So it, it just doesn't always happen yeah, straight away. Exciting. Really exciting. Mate, that's great. I really, uh, really appreciate that. I know you've got uh, busy things to get to, but um, we can't appreciate your time as much. It's been awesome. Been so informative. Can't wait to watch the, um, the draft. This week, and we'd yeah. love to have you as a, as a regular um, throughout the year. No dramas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, mate. Congrats on all the work you do as well. I, mean, I know how hard it is. Um, well, I don't, but I can imagine how hard <laughs> it is. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing a few things. Uh, we might have to do a recap, actually, and see what, oh. what, what happened out of it. If it goes our way, we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, exactly, we'll rekindle yeah. that up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Phantom Draft on Saturday night. Yeah, so. what's, where can we see it? Like, is it on your socials, on the AFL? On like, afl.com.au, yeah. the AFL app on Saturday night. And then yep. we'll do a late mail on Sunday night. Then the draft, obviously, Monday, Tuesday. You can watch um, all the picks on yep. afl.com.au. And, and is Twitter your best sort of, like, thing for that? Probably, or Probably, yeah. Probably, probably yeah. Probably. Unless so. it gets shut down by then. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it stays up. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Well done, mate. Congrats. Thanks, Phil. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at Thanks for tuning in. Iliac's X. <laughs>